How are you guys doing today? All right, that's great. Uh, my name's Spencer. I'm one of two ministry residents here at South Bend City Church. And before we begin talking about the teaching today, I want to give a little bit of context. So at the beginning of the summer, uh, my wonderful co-resident Haley and I were asked to go through our, our community to talk with various people and to try to discern some of the longings of our community and then through those conversations build some liturgy and some teaching. And so as we went around to various members of our community, uh, we, we just heard this theme again and again that was kind of undergirding all other issues. It was the idea of the body Longings for justice, longings for wholeness, longings to resist shame, all had this deep rootedness in embodiment. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about today. Now I tell you that for two reasons. First of all, because I want you to know that what I'm sharing isn't really from me, it's from you. And so I think that's really important because that changes the way this feels. It's not one person lecturing you guys on what you ought to know. It's a community engaging in dialogue with itself. Second, um, if there's anything about today's service that you don't like, you, so I, these are from other conversations, and so I can point you to the people we talk to if you have some issues you want to leverage. <laughs> so, uh, but if we're going to be talking about the body and embodiment, it seems kind of silly that we wouldn't start with a practice of embodiment. So we're going to do a breathing exercise if you feel comfortable. Now, just so you know, uh, if this is new for you, it's okay if it feels a little uncomfortable. And also, don't worry, we left, you know, we used all the incense and all the yoga mats for first service, so you don't have to worry about any of that. So if you feel so inclined, why don't you join us by putting your hands on your legs, sitting up straight, and taking three deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. I do not know what kind of week you've had. I do not know if it's been full of anxiety, of tasks that needed to be completed, or celebration or sadness. I do not know what next week will look like. But I do know that right now, you are here. You can feel the weight of the chair beneath you, and you can feel the air moving through your lungs. And you can look around at countless other bodies that have unique experiences that are right now all sharing this moment of community. You are here, and that is good. Let's finish with three more deep breaths. You are here. You are here. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the ability to commune with you and with each other. We pray and we plead for you to reveal lies we've believed about ourselves and our bodies that we might walk more wholly into our lives with you. In your name, amen. So, I had some spare time a few years ago, and so I decided to go hang out with some pastors. Now, I'm going to stop you right there. I know some of you are probably thinking, Man, this guy hangs out with pastors in his spare time. He must be so cool. If you're thinking that, you're right. Uh, so I'm hanging out with some pastors, and they're getting ready to go uh, run a service at an inpatient care facility for people with serious uh, cognitive and physical disabilities, and they asked if I wanted to join along, so I said yes. So there was a, 
a wonderful worship service and there was a Bible story and at the end we got to go around and pray with anyone who wanted prayer. And I was only expecting to do this once, maybe twice, but I ended up doing this for an entire summer. I loved it. It was a beautiful and vulnerable community of people. And my favorite time by far was the prayer at the end. I was given the privilege of being able to sit with someone, to see their experience, and to speak a little bit of truth. If only I hear you, I see you. And I loved these times with this community, but as I started listening to some of these requests, having these interactions, something began troubling me. So it would go something like this. Someone would share about some ailment or thing that was difficult. You know, my family's not visiting me. They haven't visited me in a year. Spencer, I'm struggling with depression or anxiety. Or, you know, Spencer, I had a brain aneurysm last week. And it would start with that and this honest and vulnerable sharing that I've been welcomed into. And then in the middle of it, something would kind of click in the back of their mind where it seemed they'd been complaining or sharing the difficulty for too long. And then they would just kind of step back and say, but don't worry, but don't worry. I know where my soul is going. One day I'm leaving this body and I'm going to heaven. And it's understandable when you're encountering such difficulty, it's, it's a very understandable impulse. But it very subtly can begin to teach some really destructive ideas about the body. In fact, I'm, I'm sure most of us in here have heard something like this before, right? There's two options, well, three if you're Catholic, but there's two options, right? There's, <laughs> there's, there's hell, and in hell, you know, there's fire and brimstone and little devils that have pitchforks that are gonna poke you if you're not careful, and they play Nickelback on repeat for eternity. <laughs> and on the other hand, yeah, now people are like, oh man, I'm going to heaven. I can't deal with that. Now, on the other hand, you have heaven, right, where there's streets of gold. There's little babies with harps that, you know, fly around. And uh, there's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. <laughs> and a big, big table with lots and lots of food. And a big, big yard. I don't know, what can you guys do with a big, big yard? What can you play? Play football. If you guys, <laughs> if you don't understand the reference, you have been spared contemporary Christian music. <laughs> And truly, I mean spared. <laughs> but right, so what happens is you're told all the time there's this, there's this path, right? You pick the, the hell or heaven, hell or heaven, and salvation becomes about some other place. You remove salvation from the physical. You remove salvation from the life change that can happen. What's interesting is this kind of teaching within the Christian tradition actually goes back about 2,000 years where there was some other interesting stuff happening. And, but it doesn't go back to Christianity. It goes back to a false form of Christianity called Gnosticism. Now, uh, for those who don't know what Gnosticism is, that is, for those of you who have normal and very enjoyable lives and don't spend the majority of your time in a library, uh, let me give a brief summary. This is a very this is a very simple and simplistic rendition, so if you want a more, uh, you want a lecture afterwards, just let me know and I can give that. Uh, but Gnosticism is this belief that kind of assumes the, the physical is evil and the spiritual is good. And right now you have a physical body and inside that physical body is trapped this good and pure soul. And so while you're on earth, you're struggling with all these different things, but once you die, you get to go, your soul gets to go to heaven. 
This is a very common, there was a common belief among Christians. And the early church fathers hated Gnosticism. They hated it. They thought it, it, was the, it was a huge temptation and a huge danger because it slowly but surely pulls you away from one of the, some of the central goodness of the gospel. And, and it's not just the ancient fathers who hated it. Even modern thinkers despise it. So here's a famous philosopher named Martin Buber, and here's what he says. The perpetual enemy of faith in the true God is not atheism, the claim that there is no God, but rather Gnosticism. Your spirit is good, your body is evil. Now, I want to lean into this a little bit. Okay, Spencer, why, why was this belief so tempting to early Christians? Now, again, this is a simplistic overview, but the best evidence that I can find is that it, they were kind of living in a difficult time, this cultural despair, this really subtle cultural despair. Now, Gnosticism grew out of Judaism, as did Christianity, and in this time, uh, think about what the early Christians were thinking about. The temple, the hub of political and religious and social life for Jews was destroyed in 70 CE. Imagine what that would feel like. Imagine the persecution. Imagine the famines. And imagine that you had a Jesus who said, I'm coming back quickly and has not come back yet. What are you to do? And so people, in feeling this tension, in feeling this difficulty, decided to try to explain why God can still be good even though there's so much evil here and now. And that's what happened with Gnosticism. And the way you get saved is you encounter this divine knowledge, this gnosis that you have the divine in you. And once you encounter that and believe that, then you are saved and you are going to that other place. How tragic. Because of difficulty, you blame something good in order to maintain some sense of control. Now, standing up here and talking about people 2,000 years ago, it's really easy to stand back and go, yeah, but like, we would never do that. But let's, let's, let's think about this, guys. Let's think about our culture, and let's think about how culture takes issues and then blames those issues on bodies. Let's look at the political world right now. Let's look at how our black and brown brothers and sisters are talked about in broader culture. Illegal, criminal, rapist. How about infestation? In our world, if people feel like they're losing control, they find someone to blame, and often they blame bodies. And this doesn't just happen in broader world, it happens in the church. It happens in our own lives. Let me share a personal story. So, when you go out and get ready to go into ministry, I went to undergrad for ministry, you don't expect like everything to be roses and rainbows, but you're kind of like, all right, God, I gave my entire life to you. I expect a little sugar in return. You know, maybe not like flying flaming chariots or anything, but you know, maybe like a $20 bill on the sidewalk here and there from above. <laughs> and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, going to a bunch of Bible studies. I'm super spiritual, post Bible verses in my Instagram bio. I'm doing the proper things right, you know, and, I, and I'm staying ahead on my schoolwork too. In fact, my mom, who by the way, drove four hours to be here today and would be super embarrassed if I pointed her out, 
so she's right over there. Uh, uh, When she would call me, she would say, hey, Spencer, are you having fun? Now, typically that call goes, Spencer, are you getting your work done? You know, you're paying a lot of money for this. For me, it's like, are you having fun? I'm like, yeah, mom. Like, I love Socrates. The library's so fun. That, I mean, that's the kind of student I am. I'm, I'm doing my work. I'm going to church. I'm not hiding in sin. I'm doing all the right things. And in the midst of all of that, I encounter crippling depression. For three years, diagnosed anxiety, general anxiety disorder and depressive episode. Now, God, you're, you're good all the time, and all the time you are good, so this can't be your fault. And I'm doing all the right things, so I need to find something to blame. So I blamed my body. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Why can't you just work right? And friends, I'll be honest with you. Those thoughts grow, and they can come into fruition in some really dark ways. I do know what it feels like to encounter a difficulty so strong that you want to leave your body. I'm gonna take a brief step back for a moment. The people on these stages, the leaders in this community are all leaders, are people who have gone through counseling. I still take antidepressants and I've gone through difficulties too. If it's okay for us to go up here, it's okay for anyone in this community. Off the soapbox. It's easy for us to blame things that are good when we're going through difficulty. Or let's say something that could be more inclusive to everyone. So let's say, uh, I, I think it's fair to say that everyone at some point in your life has experienced a sexual desire or thought that you didn't want. And let's be honest, that's a scary experience. I, I, I'm not in control. It, this feels weird. This feel, I don't know what to do with this. I feel shame. I have to hide. And so what do we do? Well, some people... They blame the object of the desire. Some, some men look at women and say, stop dressing in such a way that causes me to stumble, which completely removes the, supposed to remove the guilt from the man by blaming it on the object. How despicable. Are you sure you didn't want it? Well, what were you wearing? Or how about this? You know, there's certain communities out there who in dealing with this specific issue instead of acknowledging that human, that, that human experience is complex and we need community to grow and to be formed, instead of talking about these in reflective ways, they find another community and blame everything on them, right? So even though addiction and abuse would be much, much, much more relevant for this community, they spend the majority of their time lambasting our siblings who are LGBT or Q. Regardless of what you think on that, isn't that kind of interesting? How we, this, this certain thing that they're speaking about nonstop affects a very small amount of people in their community, and yet they're ignoring the big things. When we lose control, when we feel difficulty, it's very easy to blame. And it's, there's one thing that's even more common than blaming others. Friends, it's blaming ourselves. And this doesn't just happen in the area of sexuality. If you're addicted, if your body doesn't look like you want it to or like you've been told it should look, if your body doesn't work like you want it to, if your mind, if whatever else, if something about you doesn't work the way you want it to, doesn't look the way you want it to, it is much easier to hate yourself. Uh, Last week, so eloquently, I love this, Haley shared 
this line. We have been told in church that shame is a Christian alternative to pride. We have been taught in many ways to hate ourselves. Because, oh, like, you know, the person who walks in and actually likes themselves, oh, that's arrogance. Ooh, we don't like that. Let's hate ourselves instead, friends. You cannot hate yourself into loving God. You cannot hate yourself into wholeness. When we encounter difficulty, it is very easy to blame the bodies of others and our own bodies. All right, Spence, all right. Okay, doom and gloom, despair, despair. Help, where are we going from here? What can we do? Well, two things. Um, First, I want to say, I'm 22 years old, so I'm not saying that I know everything. (laughs) But I'm going to spare you my fountain of infinite 22-year-old sage-like wisdom, though if you want some later, just come talk to me and we'll have a conversation. Um, We're going to move and talk about three major themes through the Christian tradition and scripture that speak directly to this. But before we do, I wanna frame it with this statement. A major part of spiritual growth and development is, is developing the imagination to bring these ideas into your own life. So I actually don't think I can look at you and say, this is exactly what it means for you. I think every one of us are invited in a community and alongside the Holy Spirit to incarnate these truths and live them out and discover the reason for which God looks at us and calls us good. And so I hope as you go from here, you continue or begin that process of imagining a world in which these things are truths. But now let's turn to scripture. Uh, You can throw up Genesis. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. This has been a mantra for us the past few weeks. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female He created them. Friends, this is an irrevocable truth about you. There is nothing you can do to remove the image of God from you. You take a, you know, take a a wooden house and you burn it down. The ashes are still made of wood. You, 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 You start chopping it up, it's still wood. I don't care if you take care of it or not, it's still wood. You bear the image of God no matter what happens. You bear the image of God. And what this does is this frees us to be able to grow. I do not care if this week you've had the biggest failure of your life. I do not care if you're going through difficulty. I mean, I do care, but like in that kind of way, you know what I'm saying. You're feeling what I'm saying. Nothing can take away the image of God from you. And this is not a sword to be wielded against others. This is a truth that is to be encountered and and made part of yourself and then shared. Every person you see today bears the image of God and is deserving of innate respect. Everyone an icon. And so friends, hold on to that in a world that says it is good to hate yourself. 
in a world that says it is good to compare yourself to those that you deem better. Hold on to the truth that you uniquely bear the image of God. And that's never going away. We move to the second point. Now, I mentioned earlier that I struggled with depression. Um, and during some of my darkest moments, uh, there were some people, bless them, uh, who, who really wanted to help me. And so they decided to provide me answers as to why God was allowing me to go through the suffering that I was going through. Again, bless them. And it wasn't helpful. No one wants to hear all the reasons for which they're going through the struggles they're going through. But there was another group of people that said, you know what, Spencer? Uh, I don't know what you're going through, but I see you, I hear you, and I am not going anywhere. Those people helped me make it through those dark nights. But there was a third group, and this third group was much more rare, but they were the best of the bunch. People would come to me and say, Spencer, I, I've never told you this about me, but actually, I've been depressed too in my life, and while I don't have your exact experience, I know what it feels like. You're not crazy, it's really hard. What those people said, because of my experience, I can use this experience to help see you. You won't be alone, and I wasn't alone. And with that in mind, let's turn to the second scripture. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You have a God who knows what it's like to be human. You have a God who knows loneliness, who knows pain, who knows hunger, who knows weariness, who knows betrayal, who knows even distance from God. Think about that. You have a God that knew violence in his own body, and you have a God who knows death. You have a God who knows temptation. And so, friends, when we encounter that difficulty in our lives, when we encounter that difficulty that comes with being embodied, we can turn to a God that was embodied and that rose again, and guess what? Still embodied. You have a Jesus who you can sit with, and he can say, I know. And, and think about it, right? When we have experiences that, that you know about, that you've also had, what's the natural response? Empathy, understanding, you're gonna be there for someone. That's your God. That is your God. Let's move to the third part. Friends, but that God does not leave us where we are. And we are going somewhere, but not to heaven. Oh no. We're going to a new earth a new city that comes out of heaven. Let's read from Revelation 21. This is the very end of the Bible. 
And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Did you notice where this new living place was? Was it in some place in the clouds? It was in and on a new earth. Friends, there is wholeness coming. We are aiming towards wholeness. There is restoration coming. The the, the focus of the Christian mission is never escape, it's restoration. But we are not going to some disembodied place. We are coming to a place on earth with flesh and blood bodies that have been wholly restored. And we will live with God forever. Do not let anyone ever tell you that your body is evil. It's not. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not here to baptize every action by every person. Bodies can be used for wrong. But at the core, at the core, God looks at us, looks at you, and says, very good. Spencer, I I appreciate what you're saying here. I know I'm, I'm moving towards wholeness. Even now, even today, I can begin a process or I'm on a process of bringing wholeness to myself and the world around me. And I know that this fact leads me to serve and love my neighbor. But Spencer, it does not take away the pain. You're right. If I offered you that, I'd be a liar. There is difficulty in this world, friends. There is. And this is where we turn to communing with God and with each other. Friends, I understand how difficult it is to be embodied. I do not have everyone's experiences. But I can see and I've heard from members of our community the different difficulties of living in this world in a flesh and blood body. So now, instead of ignoring that fact, Instead of belittling that fact, of elevating our spirit and rejecting our flesh, let us turn to a God who became flesh. And let's turn to Eucharist. Let's turn to each other. Let's join as a community, acknowledging the pain and brokenness of this world and acknowledging also a God that some way, somehow promises to bring wholeness even now. I'm going to invite Dan to lead us in the taking of communion. But before I do, let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that now as we take Eucharist, that you move and you speak truth to us in our difficulty. You see how difficult this world is. You've experienced that. Please, God, sustain us, restore us, and continue to strengthen us as we go and we work for peace in this world. In your name, amen.